the business and the way my work is evolving is it's sort of growing with my own education into it. And I only want to make things that make sense in terms of I'm not fighting the universe to bring these things into the world. But if someone pays me the right amount of money, I, I gladly will. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Frank Bonomo, owner of the furniture company Studio Bonomo. Frank has lived a lot of different careers, a story you often hear when it comes to people who start their own businesses. Starting his company further down the road, after seeing the options that life offers, has allowed him to draw from his varied experiences and has let him know himself as well as the business he wants to run. This professional and personal understanding is giving him the day-to-day -day and year-over-year -year clarity you need to have to succeed in a hard industry like furniture. So follow along as we talk about the value of design school, technology in woodworking, how one's past shapes their future, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Frank's story in his own words. I would say, like so many people I know who are designers and builders, I think it starts in that sort of Froebel block era of playing with toys and um, constructing little worlds. And as a kid, uh, was very much into Legos and other constructive toys and, you know, grew up in a house where my dad built things and, you know, he was, um, he was sort of a working class guy. And I think, you know, in his garage, he had about the same amount of tools as everyone else on the block, but was exposed to kind of that, um, do it yourself, handyman, uh, builder attitude that I think a lot of homeowners, you know, growing up on Long Island probably shared. So, uh, my dad built decks, uh, as sort of a side job when I was uh, a teenager and, you know, got to see how things get made a little bit or as how one person uh, might be able to do this kind of work. So I'm sort of exposed at that age to, uh, you know, carpentry and help my dad out uh, a little bit as much as I can at that age. Um, and, you know, I guess seeing through him that one can kind of have a side business uh, or, or a place to use skills and you know, make a living. As far as design goes, my creative abilities draw me to art school um, as I'm figuring that out You know, during high school. And I, I land in art school with an undeclared major and kind of have a really exciting uh, foundational year where the thing that draws me the most is this exposure to three-dimensional design, which is kind of taught at my school in, in a very broad way and sort of amongst a lot of different mindsets around how to teach this curriculum. But it's very sort of Bauhausian in terms of how the school's set up. And um, I, I'm drawn into this world of sculpture and this world that kind of surrounds us that we don't talk about a lot. I'm sort of faced with a decision. Am I going to go into the world of fine art and sculpture, which I feel inclined to, uh, or I'm exposed to this other field, industrial design, which is sort of this very new idea, you know, in terms of labeling something and discovering that the whole world of, of manufactured everything has to be thought of, um, not just from an engineering standpoint, but a purpose standpoint. And those things uh, are given shape and, you know, it's a little bit like the world of invention, which I think, you know, we might get exposed to at an earlier age. But industrial design is this exciting world uh, that you could even break down into all the different facets of what it touches. So there's 
the realm of furniture design and transportation design, or at least these are the way the schools are sort of broken down around it. And I'm interested in product design. So for the next three and a half years or, or so, as as my major evolves, um, I'm focused on product design and I kind of love this world. Never touched furniture uh, in college, never studied furniture design, but was a big sort of uh, force in the, the school's wood shop. So I worked there for three years, learning as much as I can about all the various tools, kind of working your way up from how to use a table saw safely to operating a, a milling machine by the time you sort of graduate college. In that time, I get to do a few little side projects for some teachers. And I remember one furniture teacher who was sort of like the big furniture guru of the school tasked me because he saw that I worked in the wood shop to, to build something for his home. And I was like, oh, geez, this, you know, Mr. Big Shot's asking me to make something for his home. This is, sounds like an incredible opportunity. It gives me some very simple drawings. It seems like something I can do. And I would kind of say the building of furniture scale things kind of evolves, you know, in that moment and kind of walk away from that experience being like, oh, wow, I could probably build all, all sorts of things with that little set of knowledge that, you know, I just touched. Years pass and I don't really do this kind of work. I graduate college and I'm immediately saddled by the, the private loan debt that so many people of my generation are, you know, find myself struggling with, am I going to work in this design profession? Or there's a lot of other opportunities around this time. The internet is really just starting to take off. Um, I feel like the World Wide Web was very much the, the Western version of it when I graduated college. This is like, you know, 20 years ago. And faced with needing to immediately start paying student loans back and affording to live in the city, take the first job opportunity that comes my way. And uh, I'm very fortunate that I was hired by a, a professor of mine, a teacher who um, I think appreciated uh, the work I did and uh, was able to work a few hours a, a week. That part-time job eventually evolves into a full-time job. And uh, it's at this website, core77.com, which is kind of like the granddaddy of, you know, design websites or industrial design websites. So it's a fun place to be because I've got one foot in the sort of world of industrial design uh, and one foot in, you know, the web. So graduating college, I'm not doing the thing that I really love. I'm doing something adjacent and it's something that can allow me to, you know, feed myself and pay rent and um, start paying those student loans back. So this is my entry into, you know, the workforce. And um, at this point, I'm sort of straying away from the world of making stuff, physical stuff, which is what I love to do, to the world of the internet and working on the web and, you know, doing all of these uh, new forms of, of work. You were talking about when you were in, when you were in school and you started looking into industrial design and all that. And when you, you open your eyes, there's so much of it around you. It's actually everywhere. And you can walk through an entire day without thinking that every single thing that you're seeing was designed and made by somebody. And that is an incredibly eye-opening experience once you start thinking about it and thinking about what is good design, not only for you, but also good design for the world. And with what you were doing and then starting to build, it must have really start to snowball in your head this idea of oh there's things out there and things that are out there are made by people and i'm a person i can make these things i'm getting these skills and i can grow into that and then you took a little break a, a 
kind of a hard pause, but it was still in that design world and you were still looking at things, even though you weren't necessarily building on a day to day basis in, in your mind, is there a big difference between looking at design and actually making design? Because when people think of a furniture company, they think of people making stuff, but there's also that other side of a furniture company where you can be the designer and you can just be designing stuff. And that's still a furniture company, even if you aren't physically making it. So I know that you had other jobs and other careers after Course 77 that I want to talk about. But I also want to ask you, because you do make physical things now, why did you decide to go into physically making them rather than just designing them? That's a great question. I think some people are drawn to making things because they like to think with their hands um, and and they can they can kind of solve problems in a way that they're not otherwise given the opportunity to. There was a time when I think we were all working with our hands because that was the nature of the world. But you might be drawn to the making side of of this kind of work or you know similar work because you like the craft of it, you know, maybe you like the world of it. There's a, there's a lot of seduction in the world of woodwork. It's a very romantic kind of uh, notion. And I think it's marketed too really well in that, in that sense that one can fall into this. Um, part of me doesn't care about that. And I almost feel like I wouldn't call myself a woodworker versus someone who has to work with wood. I think you could be one or both. It doesn't matter really. And, you know, in terms of being the designer, you know, design is design never happens all in one place. It can happen when you're sitting down sketching in a sketchbook. It can happen when you're reacting to something that you see in the world and you think about it in a new or different way. It can happen when you're making things. And I think that's one of the most exciting places for design to happen is when you're struggling with the realities of the world that you're trying to enter. So forcing materials to do things versus listening to what materials want to do. It's it's not an approach one way or the other, but it educates you and it makes you ask more informed questions as to what you think of next when you start making something. So for me, touching things and looking at them from different angles is such a huge part of what I need to do. And as much that I can do on the computer with three-dimensional perspective and the ability to kind of virtually move around things, I kind of have to tackle the design side of things from all of these places. And I feel like the business and the way my work is evolving is it's sort of growing with my own education into it. And I only want to make things that make sense in terms of uh, I'm not fighting the universe to bring these things into the world. But if someone pays me the right amount of money, I, I gladly will. But the making of things is is a big part of where the design happens for me. It's the scrap material that gets cut off from custom people's projects that I'm often holding up and being like, whoa, there's a great idea here that doesn't fit into this project in any way. In fact, you know, I'm looking at the the negative shape of what I've cut out. And to me, that's a priceless place and a special place, which doesn't exist anywhere. So I think if you're making something that is going to go into the world, and maybe you can even do 100% of that from behind a desk somewhere, and maybe you're really good at that, I think you should get exposed to making things because someone will be making the thing that you're designing, 
And if you can experience what they're experiencing in the process, there's an opportunity for you to make what they're doing more interesting and more meaningful. We jumped ahead of ourselves a little bit, and I got into more the conceptual part of your business and and how you grew it and how you think about it. But let's go back because you did have a couple more jobs after Course 77 that definitely influenced how you moved forward to where your business is today. Yeah. And I'll try and keep the markers a bit condensed. But after Course 77, I'm at this point in my career where I am now like 10 years out of college and I'm not a designer per se. I'm, I've still got my foot in all these uh, design adjacent worlds. Um, at, at Apple, I was doing event marketing related work. So I'm learning all these different sides of propelling a business into the world. And I kind of feel like, I think I need to go back to school. I don't know. It just, it just feels like maybe the right thing to do. And I'm looking into grad school and I know this chairperson who's running probably the most exciting interaction design program in the country. Um, and she started up uh, this graduate program at the School of Visual Arts, and uh, it offers a master's in interaction design. And the world at this point seems like it's really in a new place than it was when I graduated. So whereas the world of making things, um, you know, feels like very much the world of yesterday, the world of behavior and interaction is starting to evolve with all the digital things that we're starting to interact with. And I'm excited by technology. I'm like, this seems like the interesting place to be. Do I need to go back to school? So I have this great opportunity to start working in this program. And I take a job as a, a system administrator, which is sort of like a, a fancy word for technical janitor. Um, you know, we're responsible for sort of the digital plumbing uh, that runs uh, a business or an organization. And it's a really interesting world. So one, I'm, I'm learning about this field of interaction design and getting a sense of, is this the education I want? And on the other side, I'm learning about the world of IT. The IT department at the college likes the work I'm doing and they they bring me into their department. So I find myself working the world of IT. And, and I feel like in a college like that, everybody, you know, the guy who's fixing uh, outlet covers or whatever is probably an artist or has a comic book or something. So, you know, yeah, you're, you know, you're surrounded by and at all times in all your careers by this creativity, by creativity, by a lot of different names, but still creativity in its, in its base form. And so you're again, not doing your own thing, but you're doing stuff for other people. What made you think that now was the time to go out on your own? What what pushed you in that direction to say, this is what I want to be doing and I want to be doing it for myself and the way I want to be doing it instead of working for other companies? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the two forces at play that are kind of pushing me towards some creative entrepreneurial endeavor um, is one, the creative entrepreneurial spirit of the students that I'm surrounded by. So I'm working in a graduate program where students are literally starting companies as part of their uh, classroom projects. Some of those people are launching out into the world, working for themselves for said product or service that 
you know, was inspired out of a $1,000 classroom project. Uh, and others are just, you know, walking right into Facebook and all these other places of the time. Um, so there's this entrepreneurial spirit that you just can't not feel when you're working in an environment like this. So there's a desire to start something or do something for oneself. So that's kind of the moment where I, I pull the trigger on what's next and, and jumping into being a designer full-time and a producer of furniture is sort of where I start. I would say before that moment, I was taking the baby steps to be ready for that moment. There was a little bit of space uh, between, you know, changing careers so abruptly. But I would say after, you know, about a half a year or so, I think it became clear that I need to do this. Otherwise, it's never going to happen because I'm at a later uh, stage of my life, devote myself to. And I kind of feel entitled to at this point because now like the student loans are paid off. You know, I've done I've done my 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 job in fulfilling the cost of education. Uh, now I want to use that education and this is the time. So those are the things that kind of push me, you know, just uh, necessity. Mental necessity, trying to keep yourself yeah. sane because you've been working for other people, but you had this this desire to do something on your own or at least give it a try. It's going to come as no surprise for anybody who's listened this far that you are deep into the technology and the digital world. And, and that's really where you have your roots. But you also like the idea of building things. You've talked about it a lot that you need that hands-on experience. So your whole business and your whole business model is is blending the idea of, of high-tech woodworking and low-tech woodworking, the digital fabrication and automation and the actual building with your hands. How are you balancing those two different ideas in a client project? Yeah, great question. I fell into um, an opportunity to invest in some CNC equipment and walked away with this great opportunity to start designing for CNC fabrication. And this was sort of new to me. And I was able to kind of pick it up quickly and adapt the way I thought about making things in terms of how can this machine help me work. So I love that these things are becoming more accessible, affordable, generally available, and are a new interesting tool that you can leverage as a creative tool if you want to hold it closely to you the way you might hold another tool. Or it can just be sort of this remote thing that produces what it's supposed to do and get the job done quicker. So as far as tech goes, I can't even, you know, I don't have a mirror ball to determine what one to two years from now is going to look like in the world of making. The AI supportive tools that are now being integrated into almost all the software that we use is going to help us pick up the pace to solve problems that we just otherwise wouldn't attempt to solve on our own. The thing I'm trying to do at this stage in my business is stay small because all of the tools and resources that are becoming available are telling me you don't need to be big to do big things. So I think tech is 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 helping everyone everywhere with the potential for whether you want to stay small or big or and grow. Tech is always, you know, going to be the thing that enables business to happen. Balancing it is just a matter of finding where you're comfortable and excited by it to sort of engage with it. Learning more about your company and, and talking to you 
in person is one thing, but looking at your digital footprint for your company is another thing. And it, it definitely is a little jarring, might be too strong of a word, but at the same time, I feel like it might not be because hearing all the different places you've worked at and hearing the digital design companies you've worked at and and being at the forefront of one of the leading websites and all the things that you do, your digital footprint for your own company, you haven't put a lot out there. There's not really that, yeah. that push that one would see. The stuff that you've put out there is beautiful and highly stylized photos and it really showcases your work. But I would think that you would have a bigger footprint of things that you're putting out into the digital space. And I only say that because we think now that the way to start a company and run a company and get your name out there is to just plaster your name all over social media and every digital marketing tool there is. So can you talk a little bit to why you've kept that a little bit more boutique than yeah. the Times Square, forgive two New Yorkers talking to each yeah, other, yeah. but the Times Square of advertising your company? Um, I think if you're going to be loud, you also have to be saying something that has a reason to be loud. So social media, you know, kind of started as a place to share beautiful looking things, but it's become so much more. But for me, word of mouth has been sort of the natural place where one starts and is a great way to get started with finding customers and work because of the built-in vetting, because of the, the network that you look to engage with. You know, finding the right client is is sometimes more important than, you know, finding the right next thing to make. Um, so I like the boutique aspect of operating at the moment because I feel fortunate to have worked with people that reflect different segments of a potential market. Not everyone is the same. You know, do you want to do high-end stuff? Do you want to be, you know, working on someone's yacht somewhere? Um, you can do that. You know, there's, there's nothing stopping you. You just have to be good enough. And the word of mouth world of, of finding work has been good to me in that it's afforded, again, stuff that is part of this education in terms of what is it that I'm going to do. Um, I feel like in the last year, I finally have the experience and expertise to put myself forward and say, this is, this is why you hire me to do this. You know, that work has been taking the shape more of, uh, you know, interior custom work, uh, mill work, cabinetry, these kinds of things, whereas not necessarily where I would say I'd find myself, but I feel like this is an area where I want to be known and can provide both a service and a product that are going to be different from what's out there. I ask people who have gone to school for design or for furniture or art, if it's worth it, when running a business, you need to just sink your teeth into it and you need to fail and you need to keep failing until you do it right. And school and learning about it in an environment like that, you get all the, the skills, you get all the practical skills, but you don't get the same 
life lessons and you went to school and then you were going to go back to school and decided it wasn't for you. And you also learned on the job building furniture for yourself and for other people and working for other people. So you have all types of different ideas on that subject. Can you talk about where you think now looking back school should rank in if you want to start a furniture company, if you should go or not? That's a great question. And I'm sure schools have evolved, but we are in a place though where it is questionable of, do you need to go to a formal institution of yesterday to start doing what you want to do? And I would say, find who's doing the thing that you think you want to do and go work for them, um, or at least go meet with them and, and get a sense of what do I need to be doing to do something that resembles what you're doing? Maybe not exactly, but yeah, you know, to, to the to the college student who's asking if it's worth it, to hear that question, I want to do right by them and say, no, it's not. You know, like you're going to need to be doing all these things in the world to support yourself. And the world that you're supporting yourself in is different and is going to be different than the world that I had to, you know, start supporting myself in. Um, so I almost feel like the answer is no, because there's probably a different, better way to do that. And, you know, if you want to start your own furniture brand, start by making furniture, you know, or figuring out what it takes to make a piece of furniture, because you need to have a relationship with that thing individually before you have a relationship with a business that's responsible for that thing. You've definitely had a journey up until you started your company. And as your company's progressed, there's been a journey in that progression. And you have worked other places, you've worked for yourself, you've worked in the design world, you've worked outside the design world, you've worked in the tech world, you've worked in the hands-on world, you've pretty much had a wide horizon of things that you've done up until this point. So looking back on your career in furniture, but also your careers in other parts of different industries, what's some advice that you could share with people who are trying to start their own business today or have had a business or have a business and they want it to be running better. You're going to make mistakes and those mistakes can feel like setbacks and they can feel like they have bigger repercussions than maybe they're going to have. They actually have. I would say get good at learning from the mistakes quicker. Having a process that maybe removes you from what you might label mistakes or, you know, uh, <laughs> poor choices that separates you from that process and lets you analyze that process and walk away from it, walking away from it, knowing something you didn't know before and taking it into the next thing that you do. Cause that's, that's the only way you're going to level up in this world, either as someone who makes things or as a business that is responsible for making things. Your introspection into running your business is going to help a lot of people in the way that they think about either starting a business or continuing to run a business. So I really do appreciate your time and you sitting down and talking with me. And I want to thank you. And I know everybody else listening wants to thank you as well for your time and wishing you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Ethan, thanks so much. It's been great to be here. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. 
To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.